0: I think every firefighter has a story. I made a list of everything that didn't make sense to me along the way, and that's what I'm trying to fix today. You know, they're paying us to train and to go and save lives. I mean, that's essentially what they're asking us to do. That's very important to me, is that, that you have pride in what we do.
1: This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions present on today's episode are those of the speaker, and do not necessarily
2: the Air Force. Welcome. My name is Matt Wilson, and thank you for joining us for episode 12 of the Fire Dog Podcast. Our guest today has been in the Air Force for 28 years. He's served at multiple locations throughout the world. He's held nearly every position within the fire department, up to and including fire chief. And he's currently serving as the Air Force Fire Protection Career Field Manager. Please welcome Chief Master Sergeant Andy Morris. How's it going, Chief? Good to have you on. Hey,
0: how's it going? Uh... Great to hear from you guys. And uh, so I think this podcast has been uh, pretty well received from what I understand. You went over thousands, you're in the thousands now of listeners. So that means the message is getting out there in some capacity. And, um, you know, in this day and age, we're always just trying to find a way to get the message out to folks. And I just think it's so amazing. You know, you all came up to me and were like, hey, we want to do a podcast. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but sounds good to me. Like, let's do it. You know, so. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard of them. I know that people listen to them quite frequently, and I think it's pretty neat that uh, we have folks who understand that kind of technology and can uh, le- you know levy it to our benefit of getting the the message out there. You know, I really appreciate y'all asking me on, but what I what I would ask is that uh, you know um, we go and seek out those firefighters that are there that are out there, and uh, you know you know I think every firefighter has a story, um, something compelling that kept them in. Um, you know, called them to serve something greater than, greater than themselves. Um, Every day in the Air Force, our trucks are responding somewhere, somewhere around the world and making a difference. And uh, I just think that there's plenty of opportunities to share those stories. So I really look forward to some of my favorite uh, podcasts have been from the younger guys and gals out there, um, you know, just uh, riffing and just talking about, Hey, what, what it is. Um, And, and, You know, I don't think the messages need to be that that long. They don't need to come on and talk for an hour. Maybe they come on and talk for twenty minutes. You know, maybe they come on and tell you know tell a story for ten minutes. Um, and that's interesting to me, and that will eat up like one of my bus rides in the work or something like that. I can just throw that on and and listen to it and you know hear their perspective. So, you know, I really hope that this podcast isn't isn't a one way tool where we're driving the message down. I think it needs to be a two way tool that that. And you become a medium to where we can talk back and forth to each other. Um, real important, and uh, real proud of you two um, for you know really pulling this thing out of nowhere. If you think about it, it's April. Um, I think how many episodes have you done? Probably where are we at? Like nine or eight, nine, ten right now.
2: You're going to be number twelve.
0: So you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, that many in this little amount of time from it's, you, I saw you right before Christmas, Matt, and you, you approached me with it. And I just thought, wow, how, how cool is this? You know, people are thinking next level stuff. Um, and that's the, that's the kind of thinking we need from the folks up behind us. Uh, the next level stuff on how we can get after um, and get after some of the things and get those messages out to folks. So um, I'm really excited Uh can't wait to see uh, where you take this uh, in the future, and I will say that you're only going to do this for so long, and uh, maybe this this becomes a program that we hand over to a next generation. It almost becomes a program of itself to where we would hand it over to say to other folks, you know. And uh, I, I look, I look, I look forward to it growing in the future and uh, as, as something that we can use. And uh, you know, we talked about maybe. I'm adding video to this in in some capacity, maybe not this one, but, you know, future ones where we can put some video out there. Folks can kind of get into it a little bit. Um, You see this going on on every television show uh, every day. This is how people are broadcast. And I know uh, it's pretty good stuff.
2: Chief, we really appreciate your feedback on the podcast. Uh, and and that's our that's our intent is to to get people from across the spectrum to talk about their story and share their experiences and give insight into the new programs and get guys like you on here to talk about higher level programs. So we really appreciate the feedback and we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so could you tell us about your career so far in the Air Force? So how'd you land the job of a career field manager?
0: Yes, yeah, so... Um... Well, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's like anything. It's like a ladder, you know, you, you know, we're going to keep this fire centric, you know, we'll, we'll just start with the rungs of the ladder. You know, I started out, um, way back at Nellis Air Force Base in 1992. And, uh, you know, I bounced back and forth from, uh, several locations, picking up a little piece of knowledge along the way at, at several different locations. Um, I really liked the change of scenery on a regular basis. And, uh, some of the unique things. And, uh, there was, uh, a batch, maybe nine, 10 deployments in there where, you know, I was, you know, you, you were being thrown into these unknown scenarios and just trying to make it work. Uh, and, uh, I just really, really felt like that I was doing some good for, you know, I was part of the greater good, you know, um, it, it's one of the best jobs in the world. Um, it's easy for me to say that because looking back when I first came in, um, I signed up all both feet in to be a, uh, a cook in the air force. Um, I was all in, I mean, I wanted to be a cook so bad, you know, Jesus fed the masses and that's what I was going to do in the military. And that's what I told everybody as I walked out. Um, I went to basic, I wrote cook on the paper. They said, um, you have to put more than just cook on the paper. I said, uh, okay, well, what else you got? And, uh, I went through all the jobs and, uh, I thought uh, I was signing up for um, to be like a fire alarm maintenance guy because it said Fire Protection Apprentice. I thought I was going to be installing fire alarms. And I was like, OK, I'll put that on the paper. Um, at the time, they were closing Cheney Air Force Base uh, and they were mad rushing a bunch of folks through there so that they could levy the gap that it was going to take to open up Goodfellow. So if you remotely had fire on the paper, you were going that way. So I went to it. I did the best I could. Uh, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. I didn't like some of the search house stuff and bleeding knees and all that other stuff. But, you know, we pushed through and uh, got to my first base, went on a call, um, put out a car fire. We headed back to the chow hall because back then we were on uh, defac. I'm sorry, I should say it the right way, but um, the, so I, we were on meal cards. So we had to go to, we had to bring the trucks to the, to the defac, which has since changed. We've changed that in the AFIs over the years. Um, we went in, uh, I was sitting there smelling like smoke and had just done something really awesome. And there was another, uh, member who was, a, you know, the short order cook was behind the line. We were standing there looking at each other, same stripes, same everything. And he asked me how I wanted my eggs. And, uh, and I'm not going to bad you. That's a calling unto itself, but I really felt like the higher power had intervened. And, uh, and that's just what it just took off from there. I said, look what I was just doing. And I could have been doing that. And, and I'm not bad mouthing that career field. I'm just telling you that I felt like, wow, I, I really, really feel like I fit into this more than I do that. Uh, so we went in the b- back and forth uh, over the years, uh, back to every assignment. I, ha- I had doubled up on a lot of assignments. I was at Nellis twice, Ramstein twice, McGuire um, or joint base uh, McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst twice. Um, and I kept going back. And so I got the reputation that I had to keep going back and fixing all the things I broke the first time. So, um, you know, and then I was like, okay, so I became this, uh, this thing where I thought, okay, I'm going to go to every base twice and that'll be the end of it. Well, kind of broke the mold when I made chief. So I did a short stint over in the desert as the first chief master back into Al-Udeed. That's where I met you two. Awesome senior NCOs. Right. Um, and as I recall, both of you were NCOs at the time. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we would go and play our death ball in the gym, or, I'm sorry, <laughs> dodgeball on Saturdays, uh, we made it a made it a thing. And uh, it was good times. And so uh, I got that first chief gig under my belt. And then I headed to Dover Air Force Base for a couple years as the fire chief there. And then uh, I had, did, I had um, interviewed for the career field manager job uh, previously. Uh, they took folks that were more qualified, more ready, uh, had better perspective than me. And then uh, finally, uh, uh, when I was interviewing, they the, the said, hey, we don't know where you're going, but you're not going to stay at uh, Dover. So that was what the interview uh, said. And that, so then I was the PACAF fire chief for a while. Um, I did a lot of war planning stuff. I gained a lot of perspective on uh, the higher level stuff. And I said, OK, now we've groomed you. Yeah, you're ready. You have hit basically all the rungs on the ladder from firefighter to assistant chief to NCIC of the dispatch center to assistant chief for training deputy fire chief. So I've hit every rung along the way, readiness guru, whatever you want to say. And so that, that's really what it boiled down to is hitting all those rungs along the way. Uh, I never did any special duty assignment. Um I, I encourage folks to go do special duty, but I try to tell folks that, you know, you can still make, uh, you can go all the way in this career field and not have to go out and do a special duty sometimes we're trying to chase after things, but also I think that, um, that there's some goodness in that where you get some breadth of experience some leadership experience outside the career field, going to be a first sergeant, going to be an NCO, commandant, or, uh, instructor, things of that nature. There's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. So, um, you know, I just think it's a really cool thing that, uh, you know, that the air force provides all this, but, you know, if my love of for, being an air force firefighter it, it is is uh it, it started from the beginning um i had opportunities to uh leave and uh i chose to stay and i'll choose to stay all day and twice on on sundays I, I i really um you know i i get such a kick out of it you know they're paying us to train and to go and save lives i mean that's essentially what they're asking us to do they they train us every day um we go in the work uh, my number one rule as an assistant chief was always come to work to work, make sure you're ready to rock and roll. And, uh, you know, don't come in here all beat up. Don't be coming in here all like, Oh, we we just overdid it the night before. Um, be ready to work when you come in when you walk through those doors and, and we'll get after it. So train hard. Um, also wanted to play hard. Um, you know, you gotta have fun too. So, um, it's been a heck of a ride. Uh, and, uh, I would encourage anybody who wants to be the career field manager, it's within your purview. Uh, it, you, you can do it if you set your mind to it. Of course, timing goes into that a little bit, depends on where you hit with your assignments and stuff. But uh, it's a very, very rewarding job. Um, I will tell you, like I get to see, uh, well, not lately because of the things that are going on in society, but I get to see on a regular basis um, I get to go out and see all the good that so many people are doing across the Air Force. Uh, in this job, you, tra- you travel probably two to three times per month. Um, it, it, up until recently, we've, we were traveling about two to three times a month. I go out to different installations. I talk to um, the total force, which is very important to me. I think that we've done really good things on um, robusting up our relationships with the Guard and Reserve. Um, fantastic stuff's being going on right now. Um,
2: So how much time do you have left in the position as career field manager? And what are some things, some of your top priorities that you would like to share with the force that you want to accomplish before you leave?
0: Yeah, that's a great question on, you know, what, you know, so you only get so much time in the, in in the thing. And I think I told you I came in in 92. So you do the math, right? I'm coming up on uh, 20, just finishing up 28 years. I've been in this job. Um, you know we're closing in on probably a year since it was announced and so what that translates to is i got two more years left right i'm not getting a higher extension um, um a waiver or anything like that um, i'm going to try to do the 30 the full 30 years um and uh i got a number of things i want to want to try to get after right we've got everything we have so much on the table um right now of what we're working on um if i remember everything from ems service delivery in other words um you know doing transport um, there's an effort right now to um, uh, own that mission. Um, we're working closely with it. We we meet at least once a week on that. Uh, if I'm going with my priorities, I've got to change the mentality. The number one thing is readiness. Okay, so uh, everybody says, what's my top three priorities? And I'll always say it's readiness, readiness. And the third thing, most importantly, is readiness, right? So we have to be ready to do whatever it is that we've got to do when the time comes. And what I mean by that is, you know, the time to get ready for something isn't when the stuff kicks off, you have to be ready p- beforehand. So what I will tell you is we'll just go with the JS list, JS list suit, right? So J J fire, right? Everybody thinks they're just going to throw on one of these suits, throw on their bunkers and be able to go and operate in those kind of environments. And I'm here to tell you that I've been to the silver flag sites and I've watched these guys after one rotation, um just you know literally they're they're shot and i'm saying hold on you don't have any stamina built up in this suit you've got to do more so we have to do more things with when it comes to readiness um other things i've challenged the schoolhouse with is to try and start looking at you know from the basic set how how do we look at readiness from the standpoint you know we go through a, a tech school and we don't have any type of readiness training built into the to to our core course so we're looking at different things like that. We're trying to build some line items to go into our career field education and training plan. Um, you know, I'm really excited about what we can do to change the way we look at readiness. And I'm not just talking about, you know, for, for military. I'm talking about for civilians, too. You know, no, no basis sanctuary now, if you can go back and take a look at the national defense strategy. And so we have to make sure that those folks are going to be ready, you know, and what's that going to look like, you know, in, 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 our, in and on our installations around the world. So. Um, you know, that's what I want to do is to to promote readiness within. Um, you know, when I go back to EMS, uh, you know, uh, you know, my vision for EMS is all firefighters will be EMTs, and um, you, you know that's going to be the norm. The standard is going to be you go to tech school and you go and get your EMT. Now you're probably saying, Chief, how are you going to do that in two years? Well, my what I'm going to try to do is put things into motion so it gets done. You know, maybe I don't get to sit there and. And hold up the trophy that I that I pushed it across the line but I'm certainly not fighting it and I'm certainly trying to do things to advocate we want to do it smart we want to do it right we want to make sure that we're organized trained and equipped and you know that we have the the funds and the flow you know the, the manpower and the things that we need in order to do it right right so I don't want to start off in a place where we're gonna to have to figure this all out so where I'm going with that is, is that we want to do it the right way. Um, we want to do it the smart way. Um, and, uh, we, we've got to, you know, like I said, resource train, you know, uh, the right way, meaning we have to find a way to, we've got to find days for to expand the classes down at Goodfellow in order to get the EMT, you know, and to front load EMTs going through the, through the tech school. One way we've already tried to attempt this and, um, you know, this, this is something's pretty huge. I mean, you can go back and look at your history on, you know, what ASVAB score did you need to come through when you came through the air force as a firefighter? I think it was like 36. Yeah. Like 36, 37. And, um, it was 37. And, uh, you know, so we had not looked at that since the 1970s on what it took to be a firefighter. And we know that we had levied so many more skills upon us as we went through when I talked about earlier that I was in for seventeen, whatever it was, uh, uh was in the Air Force ninety two. I went through Chanute. That was a seven week course. These folks go to school for four, four and a half months now to learn this trade that that we're in. And you're going to tell me that that the stuff that they're learning is uh, commensurate with what you know we probably just pulled lines off the trucks and um, put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Well. I'm going to, I'd have to to beg to differ with that. And some of the tests that we take, the EMT, the EMR, you know, those have gotten a little bit more difficult and we've added hazmat technician and we've added all these other things onto the, to, to the list of and litany of things that we do. You know, we hear it all the time, jack of all trades, master none, but we, we, we have a lot of stuff under our umbrella. So, and you can take this however you want it, but we needed to put a brighter bulb. You know, we had to recruit brighter bulbs into the, into the system. So we went and we did a study. Um, We worked with AFPC and the resource team down there. Uh, They came up with uh, um, some, some things that we could stomach. And uh, so we moved our score or general aptitude score to 58. They gave me a mechanical score that I can consider later, but we want to make sure that um, we don't overcorrect rather than undercorrect. So we'll add that in subsequent years, maybe if, if it's required, if we're not getting the, the right thing. I will say that I get called on it a lot, like, why are you going to reduce the amount of folks being able to come in? Well, we are bringing in more folks that we believe will be able to pass the tests and pass the curriculum. So you're bringing in the right candidates opposed to just the mass candidates that you will eventually lose. So um, there's two trains of thought there, um, and I, I would dare say that that's been the first thing that we put in place to start recruiting classes, um, the general aptitude score for EMTs in the Air Force um, and the SG is 50. And so that was the basis of that's how we got to some of that, that baseline stuff.
2: Well, Chief, I, I really appreciate you sharing all those priorities. And you hit on a few things that we're going to bring up throughout our discussion here. So as I said before we started this, we, we went to Facebook and we polled everybody to see who had questions. We ended up getting about 13 questions. Some of them we won't ask. Some of them we will. It depends on how much time. I know your time is valuable, but we. I have seven down here that we'll go through. Hopefully we can make it through. So the first one is on EMS. So it's on the mind of a lot of firefighters. And we actually had two questions uh, about the future of EMS. The first one, Jordan Herrick asks, being an active duty firefighter, how can I obtain my paramedic license? Will it be supported? Firefighter medics are the future. We were on scene first and sometimes for 10 to 20 minutes awaiting ALS backup. Early intervention would be nice to provide considering most of our calls are medical.
0: So that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, So would it be supported? It depends on who that fire chief is and where they're stationed at, right? So that his situation may be unique. Um, I, I guess I would have to guess that he would be at some place that's sort of remote, right? A lot of our bases, you know, are butted up right against the city where we can get a, you know, ALS transport in through through contract services and stuff. Um, so it really depends on what that local fire chief's willing to uh, to support. Would I support it? Yeah. If you wanted to go out and get it, I'm I'm not going to pay for it for you to go, but I will certainly provide you the avenues or instances. If oh, you want to go downtown, take the class, okay. Um, where are we at on staffing? I would let I'd cut the guy, you know, free. Now here's the thing, Jordan. Don't tell your fire chief I said that, that I would let you go, so you ha- he has to let you go. You see, it, it's based upon the priorities of, uh, you know, what, that's really what it boils down to is that if that's a, a priority for that department, I'm sure that they would support in some way. We are looking into, the, you know, advanced EMT in some locations, and, uh, you know, we're having meetings about that. But we have to make sure that our curriculum lines up with the appropriate um uh, it lines up appropriate with the national standards. Otherwise, we, you know, we, you know, our our certifications aren't going to count for much if we don't li- align them, uh, you know, legally and in, in accordance with uh, what what's out there. So,
2: Eric Barlow had another question on EMS. He it was in regards to TCCC or Tactical Casualty Combat Care. It's is Air Force FES working with the medical community to get more guidance on TCCC training, specifically in regards to the level of training firefighters need so the medical the medical community apparently getting trained on this do firefighters also need to get formally trained in some capacity
0: so so this is what i'm working on right now so i am working with a major in the uh, sg community Uh, this is coming out in drips and traps it's not like it's flying off the shelf right there so there's different levels of c triple c and we need to find out what level that we're going to find we're going to fall into uh appropriately right so um, are we going to be combat medics? Are we going to be, the, so there's a different, you know, about four different levels in there. And we need to see where we're going to f- fall into what category. I would tell you that I, I would see us being uh, needing a higher level of care so that it's commensurate with EMT. I will also tell you that I'm working with them because this never made sense to me. And maybe it made sense for some of you. Maybe it didn't make sense for some of you. But I will tell you that um, every time I tried the PCS from a base, they asked me for my self-aid and body care certificate. And I said, I'm an EMT. And they'd say, well, where's your self aid body care certificate? I'm an EMT. Do we need to keep, we're in a real bad circle here right now. You're not letting me leave and I'm an EMT and where's your self aid body care certificate. So uh, you you see where I'm going with that. So what I'm working with the medics right now is to get credit for us, TCCC to come with the EMT. In other words, you take the EMT and say, I, you know, we got a button, one more button to the collar, so that you know uh, that's your sling and swath, or you, you see where I'm going with that, right? So yeah, I we, we, you know, that. we grab a belt and we use the belt to to you know make a sling, whatever whatever those additional skills are that are there, let's just dump them into the EMT curriculum and and be done with it. So your EMT counts for T, t- C, and you're not going through two two things of curriculum as opposed to the one. It just makes it more more um, uh, palatable to me.
2: I understand yeah, I understand that approach. It's a little different, maybe similar to self-aid body care in some respects. But there with with the I guess the growing concern of active shooter and mass casualty, do you think that it's appropriate that maybe we get trained formally in in, in a separate way than we when we get how we get trained for EMT or, or do we just simply integrate that into our EMT classes?
0: So, I will tell you that um the chief landing He's working on that pretty diligently right now with the cop community um, when you're talking about rescue task force and active shooter and stuff like that. Um, I'm looking forward to what po- policies and programs um, are generated out of that working group so that we can support those. Uh, I will tell you that there probably will be some kind of medical requirements to come out of it. But we're, we're definitely going to have to incorporate that into, uh, I think, what they've said so far. Um, at, from the meetings and from the notes that I've been reading is that there, it's going to be local based training. You know, you're going to have to get, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's local based training. You got to get everybody on the same sheet of music at that installation doing what you're supposed to do. And I could write a policy up at the Air Force level and say, you're going to do this. And then it might make no sense by the time it gets down to the base. Me and Chief Wagner can sit up here and make policy all day long, but it it what you don't want to do is make policy that handcuffs folks at the local installations to, do it, to, 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 to give the right product that they need to their communities. So I, I'm not afraid of putting policy out, but what I am is hesitant to do it if it's going to limit the capabilities on the ground to help the folks that are out there. In other words, sometimes too much policy, too much regulation is a bad thing. In other words, it, it could definitely do something. And by God, if I do anything that would ever interrupt us from saving a life, um, that would be more than I than I could handle, I think, because, um, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to do anything like that. So really what we need to do is, is make sure that those bases are out there and, that, and that they have a good working relationship with everybody and they understand the command and control and they understand that nobody's just trying to be in charge of the incidents and stuff. It's it's um it's a uh, it's a it's a. Conglomerate of all those folks on that base that make that installation run every day. Um, it's the people who are still there when the gates lock after you know after four o'clock. You know when flying goes down. That's it's those people there that are uh, that are making it happen. So pretty exciting as we move forward with that. I would expect to see something in the, in the coming year on um, you know something more formal from uh, from a policy standpoint on uh, on where we reside. And then I would encourage all fire departments. You know, to 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 keep those great relationships that we have with our security forces members and uh, the medics that are responding today, um, to make sure that that and, you know at at the drop of a pin or the drop of a hat or whatever you want to say, uh, we're ready to go and then we're ready to take care of those folks on that that installation. Well, let's
1: shift gears for just a second. This one's actually coming straight from me. I, I posted it as a question on the Facebook uh, to to enter in the contest. Fair game, like everyone else, but. Want to know, many of our stateside departments have adjusted to work in a 48-hour shift or some sort of non-24-hour shift schedule. Uh, some across the force, maybe even operating at less than 72 hours per week. I'm not really sure about that one. But some some say, you know, when you look at the studies in the municipal departments and, and some of the, the other studies that have gone on out there, that it's it's really torture on the body and the mind and sleep and health and I know Matt disagrees with me on this one he's he's only worked twenty four hours in his twenty fours for life in his uh experience, but I've worked something different and I can tell you it's it's it does affect my sleep a lot different so I can imagine uh people have different reactions to the different uh shift schedules that are out there, both for on duty and off duty. Uh, consideration. So is there any appetite for looking at kind of adjusting or, or at least just looking into the standard shift schedule across the force to see if that needs adjusting?
0: So uh, this is a, this is one that I I don't mind answering. This'll be your cur. This'll be Andy Morris's opinion though. Okay. So, um, it, 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 a lot of this is tied to pay. Okay. We looked at this uh, a long time ago, um, with the 56-hour work weeks and stuff like that. I mean, that was all we went down that road. And then we realized, you know, hey, you know, there's a different pay scale for civilians and, 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 and things of that nature. You know, to compensate for some of that, um, some fire chiefs have, have said, hey, I, I want to change to a different schedule. You know, um, I, there, if you're asking me if there's an active thing to look at reducing the hours that we work on a regular basis, there is not currently any program out there that is lo- looking to reduce the amount of hours. Now, at the local level, again, going back, you know, you you know what works and what, what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. So, I've been fortunate to work several different schedules over the years. Okay, um, we used to work uh, the seven group system at McGuire Air Force Base. Um, I've worked forty eights. I've worked two on, two off. I've worked, you know, and then in, in my own departments, I've initiated, you know, this seventy. Uh, three on three is a three on three off or, or whatever we, we switched to at the time. Um, you know, I've heard it been said, or I've heard it said many different ways in that, um, you know, the 24s that's a, that's a manager's schedule and, uh, 72s and the 48s that's a firefighter schedule, right? So yeah, yeah, we get it, but it has to be a give and take between the managers and the, um, and the firefighters. In other words, um, Yeah. I I think I'm all in support of a, of a schedule that the firefighters like as long as the firefighters are getting done what they need to get done. You you know what I'm saying? Like they have to do their part. Um, if they're not, if they're unconcerned with training and making sure that they're ready to go and, uh, okay, if I take a day off here, I get 10 days off. And if they're, if they're worried about the, the latter, which, you know, they might be, you know, that's where you run into trouble, you know, and, and you're not able to, you know, course correct or, um, basically uh attain the things obtain the things that you need to in order to um effectively manage that fire department right so you know you got the squadrons calling down hey this guy's got to go for your analysis oh yeah he'll be back in uh six weeks you know it, it that, that sort of thing <laughs> you know it's it, that it, you know that they don't understand that so it can get a little bit dicey there if you know what i mean so Right. And I I know there's places
2: out there that have worked it out. Nellis, for example, I know has worked out something to where they have their firefighter come in, uh, halfway between their time off and email, whoever their supervisor saying, Hey, I've, I've been to work. Okay. Now I got to go back home or whatever. Because you can not have four days off. Yeah. 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 I'm guessing, uh, local commanders or unit level commanders have to sign off on stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, 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 and we do have the, you know, there's 96 hours and there's different things that are out there. Right. So, um, but I, I think all in all, it, it, you're going to pick a schedule that, that works for your department. I mean, from from a manager's perspective, from a fire chief's perspective, I'm going to use a, a, a schedule that works. Now, I will tell you that as, as that scheduler, and you can ask any of the firefighters that work for me, I had another schedule. It left some of the members, meaning uh, the folks that I'd already negotiated with on their, excuse me, their schedules. And then I had a schedule that put them back on 24s. So when stuff looked like it was going off the cliff, I would go, hey guys, here's your new work schedule. And I would say, everybody see that? And they're like, Whoa, chief, what are we, what's what are you doing here to us? And I go, Hey, listen, I gotta do something. So help me out. And next thing you know, training's caught up. Everything's good. Floors are clean. Uh t- you know, it's all good <laughs> in the hood, right? So
1: Yeah. And I know the civilian aspect is a is a huge consideration. Paying benefits, and there's no, there's no none, none of us are looking to to take that away from anybody, you know, that's the, people's livelihoods. Uh, I, I think, you know, some looking kind of long range attrition new, you know, as, as the force kind of rolls over into new cycles, uh, it would, it would have to obviously be a super long thought out process to change it over when we're talking the civilian workforce as well. Um, and, and there's definitely benefits to having, all your members on one shift. So like you were talking about, if you split them up and do all this weird stuff, it gets complicated. And then you've got 14 shifts going on and you don't know who's, who's here one day. Yeah, and so,
0: not, so. Uh, yeah Ben. So it's a good point. You know, I don't want to lose synergy in a department anytime I'm in a department. Right. Because when I go, when I go out, I don't, I, and I'll be honest with you and you can ask anybody who I've ever worked for, or whoever's worked for me, I, I, you know, or I've worked with, they, they, when I come out, I see a badge and that, that badge means you're a firefighter, right? And so we're all firefighters together. And I, I just I never like to see the rift between the military and civilian. I never like to see some of those things in the department. And the best departments I ever w- worked in is you, you would come in and, and everybody's, everybody's on board. Everybody's helping one another. And, um, you know, those, those seamless type departments where everybody's in it together and, you know, we we have so much to gain. Military members have so much to gain from our civilian workforce. You know, they they have knowledge, they have experience. A lot of times, they have part time jobs or they're doing this on a regular basis outside the gates. And you know, it, it would behoove us to work and have a great relationship with 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 the civilian counterparts. In that, you know, we're only going to get we're only going to benefit from it in the long run. So, I, I, I do get frustrated. I will say, you know, when when I when I hear that, oh, we're not working so well together, and and things like that, and. And it's clear when you walk into an apartment, you can tell those rifts. I can walk into an apartment within 10 minutes and and know that there's a rift in that department or not. And I always appreciate the departments that are, are, that are working together, that are investing in our airmen to make sure, you know, that they're ready to go. Readiness number one is that they're ready to go. You know, you can go into some departments and, you know, I'll probably get kicked in the teeth for this later, but you go going to some departments and all the civilians got all the great positions on the trucks, you know, sometimes, I mean, it, that, that, that may go on in that department. And then how does that GI, right? How do they compensate for that when, uh, when rubber meets the road and that now they're doing it under attack or they're getting, you know, uh, blown up and shit's on fire everywhere, right? How, how are they supposed to, to, you know, adequately be in charge of that in, in some capacity? So We've got to, you got to make sure that we're taking care of both sides of the fence, right? Everybody's getting love and everybody's working together. And and that's, that's the kind of the vision I have is to make sure that we're doing things. I'll tell you everything that I, that I, uh, that I'm working on has, it will have a civilian flavor to it right now. We're doing the STRT and uh, you know, we really haven't launched this uh, um, publicly, but I'm sure somebody will listen to this and you know, we, we're, we're trying to, to come up with a, um, a civilian training record right now. They capture all their stuffs in, in a in some kind of in, in a folder. It's kind of kind of all over the place, depending on where you go. And, uh, you know, I would like to use the backbone of what we're using in the CFETP, not the exact stuff. Right. But some of that stuff should be able to translate over easily to um, a civilian training record. So, um, we, you know, and, and I'll tell you that there is a flavor for it and the civilians. Are asking for that kind of stuff. I, I, you know, when I, I, I originally had started that senior NCO call, you know, that's uh, not like this. You guys are all professionals doing this, but I, I get, I get a little telecom line and I try to get everybody on it. And I try to talk about different issues, you know, every couple months, you know, and the idea about behind that was I wanted to do something for senior NCOs. You know, I wanted to talk directly to the senior NCOs. Well, guess what? So people found out about that. I was trying to mentor doing some kind of fire leadership mentorship for just the senior NCOs. Well, guess who got in an uproar? Everybody. Yeah. No, everybody said, wait a minute. What about us? What about our professional development? What about you mentoring us? And I said, you know what? That's a good point. So the senior NCO all call morphed directly into a, you know, a senior fire leadership mentorship type thing where everybody's on board. And, and it makes sense. It goes back to my point that everybody's getting the same amount of love. And, you know, we all learn. I'm learning every day something new. It's, it's amazing.
2: I think the grass is always greener on the other side. Right. So there's there's something good and there's something bad with either type of schedule or all the different types of schedule. There's a good argument that 24s are bad for your health and all this stuff. But We can find something wrong with 48s and 4872s and all this different stuff. But uh, I keep it moving so that we. Uh, allow everybody to have an opportunity for their question to be asked. This next one comes from, it's a good dispatch related question. Uh, Miles Payton in regards to the ACEs and computer systems. He asks, what is the plan for enterprise wide E911? E- aging computer systems and software require heavy maintenance and replacement after five years. What plan, if any, do we have for ACEs FD replacement? Are we looking in long-term sustainment contracts for these enterprise wide systems? Or are we keeping the burden to the local ASJs? Finally, uh, what are we looking into when it comes to removing dispatch as an extra duty for firefighters?
0: let us I'll just tell you what we're, we're looking into right now with dispatch. OK, essentially, we, we understand there is this huge bill that goes along with dispatch um, in, in de- different capacity. There's several dis- different systems in there that 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 need to be maintained and updated. Everything from Monaco to other fire alarm type of, uh, commu- you know, fire alarm communication systems in there. Um, I will tell you that we are working on um, uh, looking right now whether to stick with Aces FD or FESIMS uh, as opposed to a COTS product, or something off the shelf that's out there. Um, we we have that going on right now. That's an active thing that our our contractors and Mr. Robin Shaw is working from uh, AFCEC. They're they're trying to put some stuff together for that. I will tell you that we have another council, another working group that probably a lot of people don't know about is uh, regionalizations. Uh, CMASR. Uh, Jeffrey Wilson's working on regionalization um, with a couple other folks and trying to figure out how we can regionalize dispatch. In other words, only have a a dispatch in certain locations and geographical areas of the department so that everybody won't have their own dispatch. And then finally, we're looking to divest that. So if there's any takers out there that might be listening to this, um, we're willing to try and uh, hand this baby off to somebody um, and uh, get out of the game completely we probably still keep our telecommunicator ones and twos um, just so if people can answer the phones in some capacity. Um, we'll probably have to look at a rewrite on that That in, in general. But so we get, you know, we have something to, to do um, with dispatch because I don't think we're going to lose that in a deployed environment, right? We're still going to have to answer the mail on that. I don't think you're going to just see d- dispatchers on a dis- deployment uh, UTC that goes out and, and, you know, that's married up with a department. So we're still going to have to answer their calls downrange, so... That's, that's a, that's a basic nutshell. I know there's infrastructure problems. Yes. That's going to have to be fought locally. Um, I know that, um, that some of the communities have divorced themselves with that. Um, meaning that, uh, they're not supported as well as they once were and we're having a fight for contracts to maintain that stuff. So, um, yes, there is stuff being looked at. Uh, I know that IMSC was looking into uh, some other things too, to see what it's going to cost to, you know, either support the whole enchilada or you know um or how we can maintain them in the future but it was a great question i mean there there's there's just so much going on you know and he asked like almost every question to every aspect of what's going on so chief our next question
1: comes from Scott Carter it's uh, about our vehicle fleet uh, his question is with an aging fleet in mind the striker was the answer to the P19 P23 and the P26 was supposed to phase out the P18 what is the current status of our vehicle fleet and where are we headed as a career field? You know, kind of what's on the horizon with our new, uh,
0: vehicles. So, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, where are we headed? I'll tell you that, um, right now we're, we're headed on the path that we're on. Um, we're going to be replacing these trucks as they, they come up due for, um, for replenishment. Um, it's a, it, the process has changed a little bit over the years, y'all know that we used to have a vehicle replacement schedule, and we really don't have that anymore so it's basically boils down to um when a truck is broke it's broke and we replace it it goes into the replacement mix um the runs all that out of there uh, mr fred Terran down at afkek he's our poc for for all vehicle issues i'll tell you, you know a lot uhp's gotten a lot of bad press um here and there and uh you know i'm gonna put a plug in for it all right so I, I don't think we have a UHP problem. I think we have a training problem. And in, uh, in that is that um, we don't—we're not trained appropriately with the UHP. Um, I've watched these 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 trucks do some pretty amazing things on some of the videos. I mean, I've watched them blow aircraft fires out. I mean, essentially, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I've watched them things throw water up to 450 feet. I don't know how, what, why you'd be putting uh, water 450 feet away from a from an aircraft fire, but you know, so where I'm going is, you know, you're not going to be setting these things up into the wind. You're going to be setting these up on actual fires. It's going to, you know, it, it, it's not going to freeze like into this mist that everybody that says it is to. I've taken those trucks out and, and put them to the test. I, I I waited till the coldest day of the year. And then I brought my whole fire department out there and I said, let's learn how to use this stuff. Let's 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 work it. Right. And I will tell you that there are some limitations, but it's not nothing. It is. It is nothing that you cannot train uh, on to get more proficient with. In other words, this stuff will work. You know, I hear bad stuff about the ribs all the time, but I've, I've seen people, you know, uh, put them into different, you know, applications where, you know, people love to have one of those to knock it down a tent fire in in a, in a, in a camp somewhere and stuff. So they're all tools that we can use, but if you don't use, it's just like anything. If you don't use the tool the right way, it's not going to work for you. So, um, I, I see that the, our fleet's going to stick to UHP for, for the, at least the near future. Um, and we'll reevaluate, um, a, a, as we, as we come, I will tell you, chief Wagner's reached out to all the bases that have on um, the JP eight fire pits. And, uh, he's asked them to, Hey, can you put some, you know, some videos together that we can share to the field, um, on just how great this stuff actually works and it. So we can get an idea out there.
2: The meaning of the RIV rapid intervention. It's not... Yeah it's not supposed to take place. If your major crash vehicles, it's supposed to rapidly intervene Augmented. for any kind of fire or, yeah, you know, augment, whatever you want to say. Uh, you know, so it, it has its, like, you, like you said, it's a tool and it has its purpose. You don't, you don't sit there, you, you go in, knock down your major crash vehicles come in, and take care of the rest of the job. I mean, I think that's the idea anyways. It's a rapid intervention vehicle. It's literally in the name. So
0: right.
2: it has its application, but it's, it's not the big guys
0: though. So. They just got done doing, you know, we we just got them, you know, air transportable and stuff like that. So you're going to see them. I mean, they're they're going to be around for a little bit. They're not going anywhere. But as far as going in and saying, "Okay, we're throwing out all the UHP, that's not happening. Couldn't happen today and it won't happen in the next, you know, foreseeable future because it takes a while to turn that mechanism on and off. And today it's on and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So
2: Well, the science says that it's a good thing, too, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, in water conservation and I mean, it 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 can go into a ton of different things. Right. Um, If you're still going in and dumping your entire payload on on an aircraft, you know, uh, you might want to reassess on how you're putting fires out. Like it's just, you know, we we need to do a better job of um, assessing um, doing scene size up. Right. I've seen departments come in, modulate two times around it set up on the thing and they got no water left in the truck and you're sitting there going, okay, what was your thought process here? Did you not think you were going to have to go um, and start fighting these ground fires or, you know, there's not gonna be any cleanup operations. You you knocked it out. There was nothing inside that you had to worry about. You know, you just knocked the whole thing down outside. So, you know, we just need to be smart about what we're doing and we need to train. I'll tell you, man, I've I've taken this. I take my guys out every day. The damn trucks have booster heaters on them. I take them out and when it's cold and they're like, why are we going out, Sergeant Morris? And I'm like, because you need to know how to do this stuff in the cold. You need to know how to do this in the freaking in the heat. You need to know how to do this in the middle of the night when you woke up. You you know, you need to be ready all the time. And so that's been my, uh, you know, I guess
2: be ready. Right. Great advice, Chief. Our next question comes from Omar Ortiz. He asks, what is the status of getting Center for Public Safety Excellence or CPSE credentials paid for by Air Force Cool or credentialing opportunities online.
0: So, Omar, oh that's a that's a great question. That is a fantastic question. So, that's something that uh, my predecessors, the last three career field managers, have worked on, and I continue to work on it myself. I will tell you, it's not at the uh, the um, the you know, I got other things that are going on in between, but for for sure. I've not forgotten about it. So what I'll give you on that is this. Um, They need a test. That's what the COOLS program needs. They need a test that qualifies everything at the end. And although we take several tests along the way, Fire Officer 4, you go down the line, there's no one final test. And that's what they're looking for. Currently, we have a couple of folks working on what that's going to look like. So they're going to address the air force cools program one more time and say, can we just have a four question essay, like a four question essay test that they have to write. It's kind of like a theoretical question type that will be graded at the end that would count as a test. And then that would incorporate, you know, that would meet the needs of what they need in order to, to pay for the, the air force cools program. So we are still working on it. Um, I would expect to hear something soon. Uh, I've not heard anything recently on it, but it is something that we're still working on. And uh, so it's not dead in the water. So what I will say is, yes, we're still looking into that. Um, we are um, working closely with Air Force Cools program right now in order to find a, uh, a final test that we can administer to folks so that it will count for the qualifications. And then we will meet the intent of the Air Force Cools program. And, uh, and I suspect that they'll allow us to uh, test out and uh, utilize the program uh,
1: accordingly. Chief, if I could ask a follow-up question on that. The fire officer certifications that we earn and the instructor and all those, those are good on the outside. And we require those to step through our career and everything like that. What would be the thought of trying to integrate the credentialing into the kind of paid for by the government system, uh, just like we would host a fire officer class or anything else like that, you know, sending folks to not maybe sending them, but paying for them to get their credentialing. If we work that into a requirement to hold certain positions.
0: The credentialing piece is it's, it's kind of different. So it depends on what kind of credentialing you're talking about. Like you can get credentialed through CPSC um, for different levels. Like I have my uh, CFO, and then they had other levels of service there, levels of um, of uh, training that you can, well. Yeah, so know, they have what, fire
1: officer the, and they have yeah. chief training officer, chief EMS officer, yep. a couple of those different levels.
0: Yeah, yep. so we don't have that incorporated into our system right now. But what we do have is Air Force credentialing that we're still t- trying to take a look at. That has kind of lost some legs along the way. Um, I don't know that everybody's using that program as effectively as we wanted to. Um, you know about the credentialing program that the Air Force has, right? For incident commander, staging officer, all, all that good stuff. So um, we we definitely need to take another look at that. And, uh, you know, that's a great question. And it's definitely something that's on the list of what are we going to do with these credentials and, and and things of that nature.
1: All right. Well, let's get on to the next question. This one's from Thomas Stewart and it's from- it's regarding career field manning and retention. This is something Matt and I heard you talk about in the superintendent course a few months back. So I'm excited to hear you you know, talk about it on a little wider platform here. What are the forecasts in regard to retaining Air Force firefighters? How are we doing? Are we losing more active duty members in the airmen and NCO category than we normally would?
0: So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I will tell you right now. Uh, as far as our, our staffing is concerned, we are exceptional to the point where we have the ability to shed a lot of folks from the uh, other ranks that we have. Uh, right now, we are hurting in the capacity of folks flowing through our schoolhouse. Um, we are doing better. Um, the numbers are up. Schoolhouse is doing a great job on producing quality airmen to the field. Um, Currently, they're not getting enough of them out to the field. Um, and so things like uh, the ASVAB score that we're changing, recruiting a person that can come in and try, probably pass the curriculum a little bit easier. Um, these are some of the things that we're doing to uh, to attack that. I will tell you right now, if you're a tech sergeant and you're in fire protection, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I've said it in the past. I've said it to a larger audience. Like, get in the car. I'll drive you to the gate myself because we have way too many tech sergeants in, in fire protection right now. Um to the point where they've, you know, they, they've given me some tertiary numbers of what up we could shed. And I've only allowed, you know, like half, less than half of that stuff to be available for DSD and stuff. I still have to think about the career field as a whole. I would tell you that there's some additional things that I wasn't speaking about, um, two months ago, or three months ago, when we, when we had all met, um, it, you know, we, we, we've got a different situation on our hands today and that, um, we don't know what's going to happen with things like basic training, and we don't know what if things are going to happen, you know, due to COVID response. Whether we're going to keep the schoolhouse open for many more days. In other words, are we just going to graduate those folks and then we're going to shut stuff down for a little bit, wait till this passes? And so we are looking into all that. And I will tell you right now, if you're floating a DSD my way or not DSD, well, yeah, it could be a DSD, could be a palace chase application to go in the guard reserve. I'll tell you right now, I'm sitting on those for just a little bit because we're going to have to make the determination. If they shut the doors and we have nobody coming in, maybe we just have a higher ranked air force for a little bit, but at least we have enough people to go and get out there and, and get after the missions that we're supporting across the world. So there has been some consideration. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, that stop loss hasn't come off of anybody's lips. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things going on right now. So, um, you know, that's uh, not sure if I should have shared that, but whatever. I mean, I, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, we, we're having to figure out what the effects of this COVID response and this COVID um, pandemic has really caused us as a whole. Um, I will say that we have departments right now running ILS, running CLS. Um, we got different um, departments doing all kinds of different things right now to, you um, to get after this, we've had departments that have infected members with COVID. We have folks that are in quarantine. We've had to resort to going to different shifts. We've used um, TLFs, uh, different facilities, to uh, you know set, get that separation for folks so that they could respond. Um, it's a very, very crazy time. Uh, we used to talk about it all the time, kind of joke around about these things called the coop plan back in the day, and the coop plan was supposed to be as conti- Um, continuation of operations that we're supposed to have if something went down. Well, I would tell you that I wrote a lot of those plans in those departments that I were in, and I never considered something to this effect, right? How how this has hit us, right? I I figured, you know, oh, everybody got sick. They're gone. They went home for a week. We keep the guys on for a week. No, this thing is progressive and it catches and you don't know the person has it. And so you have to keep them kind of away. And there's these quarantine practices that are being put all over everybody. I will tell you that we're not messing around on the readiness training that's out there. You will go to readiness training, but you'll be quarantined 14 days to get all your deployment training up. Um, But, you know, we're, we're not messing around when it comes to readiness. You're still going to get the training that you need um, to to support the operations all over the world. Um, I I would tell you that, uh, you know, it's, you know, I hear uncertain times all the time, but I, I will say like what I'm seeing from the career field and what, how everybody's resiliency and how people are working through this, um, it's just, it really gives me a lot of hope. You know, I, I just get really, um, I don't know, I don't know what the word is for it, but I'm really, comf- I, I know it's hard to be comfortable in these times, but I'm comfortable knowing that, you know, all these folks are out there getting after it and doing the right things. And you know, they're using their training and they're looking at with the, the problems, that are problem sets they're being faced with. And they're coming up with solutions every day, all over the place. And we've got places to share that information. Um, chief Wagner and, uh, uh, Afkec They've hang out, hung up on page down there. You could dump all your plans and what you're doing. We've got plans from all over, all, all walks, um, overseas everywhere. People are just, it's a, it's a community that've come together thinking through all these things. So, you know, you know, we're, we're, uh, we are. You know, it's pretty intense. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, just watching all the all this this sense of community come back, and then you know, and when we say we're all in it together, I, I really feel like people mean that, genuinely mean it when they say that now. So,
2: Chief, I can say from our perspective, it, or from my perspective here at Langley, it's almost it almost feels, and you know, I don't want to I, I don't want to say this because I haven't necessarily been to war like, you know, like a Pearl Harbor kind of event, but it it has a different feel to it in the sense that the gears have engaged and people are taking it very seriously. And, and when, when circumstances come, when circumstances get to this level, it's really impressive to see how creative and how focused people can get. I'm talking from the wing leadership all the way down to the unit level leadership and in the fire department too. Like we, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of smart people in the department and they write, they, they got serious real quick and put policies into place and we took it seriously. And it, yeah, it's an, it was an impressive thing to kind of be a part of and we're still kind of dealing with it now and moving through it. But even from the higher levels and all the way down to the unit levels, it was impressive to see how we responded.
0: Yeah. And we're still in this and and we're going to continue through it. Um, you know, uh, it's just, a, it's a different kind of thing. You know, I, my jaw hit the floor when I found out my five kids weren't going to school for the rest of the year. I was like, well, well what's this all about? You know, this is a different kind of kind of thing. So, you know, I am i am doing a lot of teleworking because of we, where we're being required to do the teleworking. But uh, also as in two, if, unless I have a, you know, a high side or a classified type brief brief, uh, I have to go take care of. That's, that's what will lead me into work. But um, other than that, um you know we're, we're kind of just uh in this together so it's kind of fun you know listening to all the meetings that i'm in on a regular basis and hearing all the kids and the dogs and the pots and pans banging around in the background and you know people are just living their lives but it, we're still getting after it i mean stuff is still getting done you know even from afar and uh um you know i miss the handshakes i miss the hugs uh you know from 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 the community um uh, I, I've been told I'm a hugger, I guess, in some capacity, but you know, it's, it. you know, right now it's not the time for it. So we'll keep doing it. And uh, I think chief Wagner put out there that I copyrighted the, or trademarked the word wash your hands. So uh, after the sickness I had, um, I did get tested false negative. No, I'm not going to say that. I, I was tested negative for the coronavirus, but I've never been sick like this. So I will tell you that, you know, I, I, I'm questioning the test results, if you will. But uh, anyway, we push through it, and uh, every day we're getting a little bit better.
2: Chief, the last question comes from Ben Sudith. He says, "Do you plan on bringing back the P2? If so, can I unretire
0: and drive it?" So he, I will tell you there, uh, uh, you're going to have to fight me for that one, because uh, if I did bring it back, I would definitely want to drive it. Um, we had to learn how to start those things in the dark. They used to blindfold us and say, okay, figure it out. And uh, probably could still start it up and drive it with the best of them. But uh, we'll, well, how about um, we'll trade off shifts. You drive it one shift and then I'll drive it the next. Um, Yeah, miss that truck. Um, but no, there's no plans to bring back the P2, but I used to love that beast.
2: Well, Chief, we really appreciate your time today. And, and thanks so much for asking all these questions. Uh, It's awesome to get perspective from really the highest, highest level of air force fire protection. And I know that there'll be a lot of value added to a lot of guys out there. So do you have any final thoughts before we finish up?
0: What I would ask from every firefighter that's coming into the service today. Um, and I'm talking about the lowest like the, the, the guy who may not even have a stripe on his shoulder, which I think a lot of them just ought to have it automatically because they've been in there long enough. Um, Start writing down the things that didn't make sense to you. Write it on the paper and keep it in a book in your pocket. And everything that doesn't make sense along the way, you will have an opportunity one day, hopefully, to be able to fix those. You know, we talked about retention a little while ago. We have no problem with retention. Once people see what this is all about and what they're about, we have no problem keeping them. So we just got to get enough folks in the door and they don't want to go anywhere. They want to stay. Tension is great, and and I'll tell you, you, you know, as you work through things and you keep going back to that list, and uh so and I'll tell you, that's what I kind of did was, I made a list of everything that didn't make sense to me along the way, and that's what I'm trying to fix today. I'll give you an example of that. When I got to my first assignment, they said, "Here, go climb on that truck. You're going to be a firefighter today." I would never responded to a call in my life and I didn't know what I was gonna look like or how I was gonna do. But that's just how we've we've done business in the past. You know, we we've uh initiated and you talked about it on one of your programs, the rookie book program. We've sent it out to the Air Force wide. I just sent out a link to it yesterday. Um and now we've sent out a company officer development program to to everybody to try to standardize some of that level of care to reduce down some of the risk that we've taken for years. We've been showing up at fire departments and throwing us on the back of the truck and saying, go get after it. That's stuff that didn't make sense to me. You know, the ASVAB score didn't make sense to me. So, you know, I wrote all this stuff down along the way and that's what I'm going after. And you'll have your opportunity one day. You know, if you keep hanging in there and doing the right things and, and moving up, You'll have have the ability to to make some of the changes that you want. Maybe you'll change some of my stuff back. You can come in and say, ah, we didn't know what he was talking about, and I'm going to fix this, you know. So, um, you you know, and and just keep on serving out there, you know, continue. You know, something I always say is proud, humble, confident. Those are my three words that I kind of just throw out there to everybody. And, um, you know, that's what a firefighter needs. That's the traits that they need. They need to be proud of what they are, who that, you know, what they are, what they have, you know, the equipment that they ride on, they need to take great pride in that. You know, that that, that's very important to me is that that you have pride in what we do, right. You need to remain humble. Don't be pulling your your trucks up to the front door of the commissary, blocking the fire lane. So you can go in and get a steak for yourself. That's not who we are, right? We're not looking for a bunch of badges on our shoulders and, 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 and not pinned on our chest. We're not there for the medals, right? Be humble about what we do, and that's that's uh, you know. And then make sure that you keep your confidence level up, and that you're confident into the to the ability, the the pride and the humility that you're showing out there every day. You know, you want to be confident, and and because there's a confidence in the people that we deal with on a regular basis. They they are confident. There's no other job you just show up on scene, and they know you're going to do the right thing by it. Think about that we show up on scene and people start to breathe easy. I mean that's 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 a pretty important thing when when it, when it, when, it, when it when it comes down to just the straight up basic message is that people start to breathe easier when we show up. If that don't impress you in some capacity, I don't know what will. Um, they think we're superheroes. So let's act like it.
2: Chief, a lot of great thoughts. Uh, thank you again for coming on. It was great talking with you.
0: Thanks for both of you to put this on. I'm looking forward to more stories and more episodes. Can't wait to hear the next, uh, next great thing you guys are, will will put out there for
1: us. That will do it for this episode of the fire dog podcast. You can find more content just like this regularly posted on our Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the fire dog podcast. That is facebook.com forward slash the fire D a W G podcast. Did you know you can find us on Apple, Spotify and YouTube? please like and subscribe and don't forget to share this episode. This has been Perry and Matt Wilson with our guest, Chief Master Sergeant Andy Morris. Until next time, stay safe.